And we're coming to the end of the line here, as far as Zedekiah and Jerusalem is concerned. So chapter 39, verses 1 through 10. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nergal, Ezar, Semgar, Nebu, Sir Sikim, the Rab, Zaris, Nergal, Sar, Ezer, the Rab, Mag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riddlah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried him to exile to Babylon, the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him and all the people who remained. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, <coughs> left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Well, this uh, is really kind of the, uh, you know, climactic uh, event of the book. We have been seeing up to this point in the book how Jerusalem was going to be destroyed because of their wickedness, and, and now it is. And uh, in later chapters, we'll see some of the aftermath. Uh, but the Babylonians laid siege for a year and a half and then breached the wall. Once they get through the wall, then the soldiers just pour in and they destroyed the city. What is Zedekiah and his officials? What do they do? Run. They run. What do you think about that? But they weren't supposed to. Why not? That's what Jeremiah told them not to, kind of. Like, he told them to surrender to Babylon. and so Don't surrender. So I guess running isn't that. But what else does that strike you? How else does that strike you? Cowardly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, captain on the sinking ship being the first one in the lifeboat. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the king. You know, he needs to stay and try to protect his people, or whatever, I don't think there's much else for him to do. I mean, there's not going to be a way for him to protect the city, but there's also not going to be a way for him to successfully flee. The army of the Babylonians pursue him, catch up to him, grab him, and brought him to Nebuchadnezzar. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do with poor Zedekiah? kills his sons and all the officials and then puts out Zedekiah's eyes. Yeah. So that the last thing he ever sees are his officials and sons dying at the hand of the Babylonians and then he's blinded. Wouldn't that be a haunting nightmare? 
And remember, he's 32, so his sons are more than likely minors. So he's seeing his young sons being put to death. You know, it'd be a horrible thing to, to deal with. This resolves some things that were said in other prophecies, how uh, Zedekiah was going to go to Babylon, but he wasn't going to see it. You know, you don't quite understand what that means when you're looking at those passages earlier, but now that's exactly what's going to happen. He goes to Babylonia, Babylon, but he won't see it because he is uh, blinded. And uh, they not only take Zedekiah to Babylon, they go to Jerusalem, and they burn it, and they break down the walls, and they exile the people, except for the very poorest people that stay behind kind of as caretakers of the, of the vineyards and the, the farms and things like that. Um, the, they're just a few people who, who really are left there to kind of, uh, you know, take care of the land, pay taxes on the, uh, um, you know, farm, uh, the, the fruit of the land, and so forth. This event, the fall of Jerusalem, is such a major event that there are four different chapters in the Bible that tell about it. 2 Kings 25, 2 Chronicles 36, Jeremiah 39 here, and Jeremiah 52 as well. So this is a big uh, story uh, here. Uh, comments and questions. He said about the other passages again. Yes, the last chapter of Second Kings and the last chapter of Second Chronicles. So it's twenty-five and thirty-six, and then Jeremiah thirty-nine and Jeremiah fifty-two, which is the last chapter of Jeremiah. Other thoughts? Yeah. I was going to say that Zedekiah wouldn't see. You've got a couple of passages uh, that are uh, worthwhile. Um, I think the most important is Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel 12 and verse 13. Uh, I will also spread my net over him. He will be caught in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he will die. There. That's Ezekiel 12, 13. Other thoughts? Eleven to fourteen. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave orders about Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the, the captain of the bodyguard, saying, "Take him and look after him, and do nothing harmful to him." but rather deal with him just as he tells you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, sent word along with Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsuris, and Nergalsar Ezer, the Rabmag, and all the leading officers of the king of Babylon. They even sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the guardhouse and entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Aachim, the son of Shaphan, to take him home. So he stayed among the people. This section will be expanded upon in chapter 40. But essentially, Nebuchadnezzar is ordering Jeremiah to be uh, protected, cared for, treated well, uh, given what he wants. Which is really interesting. I mean, Jeremiah is a prophet 
of Judah. He's, he's one of the enemy prophets. Why would Nebuchadnezzar treat him well? Sarah? If you're a suspicious type person, it means that all those rumors about Jeremiah were true and he was actually working with Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> um, but I suspect the truth is more along the lines of God told Nebuchadnezzar to do this and he did. I've got another theory. It's an idea. I've got another theory. <laughs> did he know that he was a prophet of God? Well, yeah. I'm assuming that the Babylonians have a competent intelligence department and that they knew of the things that Jeremiah was teaching. And maybe not everything or every time, but Jeremiah had been very direct even with the people that they should surrender, that Babylon was going to conquer them and they ought to give up rather than fight. I think from a Nebuchadnezzar perspective, that makes Jeremiah... Pro-Babylonian. He wasn't really pro-Babylonian, he was pro-God. And God intended for the Babylonians to be the agent to punish Jerusalem. But I suspect he knows Jeremiah's been saying that, and he would consider Jeremiah to be an ally from that. You know, Jeremiah has been trying to get the people to surrender something he would dearly love for them to have done. Uh, So that's my take on that. You know, that actually turns out then to be a blessing for Jeremiah under Nebuchadnezzar. Interestingly, the Babylonians then treat Jeremiah better than his own people do. Kind of reminds you of Abimelech, the Ethiopian eunuch that treats him better than his own people do. Um, Sometimes that's the case. So, they take care of him. Who do they entrust Jeremiah to? Gedaliah. Gedaliah, who is an important person. We need to think about him for a minute. We're going to see that Gedaliah is appointed as the governor of the people that were left in Judah. And Jeremiah ends up staying with those people. He doesn't actually go to the captives. He ends up having his own choice about that. He decides to stay with the people in Jerusalem. And so Gedaliah being the governor is the one then responsible for Jeremiah. But I want you to look at Gedaliah's pedigree. Who was Gedaliah's father? Ahikam. And what do you remember about Ahikam? Nothing. Well, that's unfortunate because in 26-24 we read that uh, Ahikam, uh, his hand was with Jeremiah so that he was not given into the hands of the people to put him to death. Ahikam in 26-24 protected Jeremiah. That was in a chapter where Jeremiah was nearly lynched. But Ahikam protected him. Who was Gedaliah's grandpa? Shaphan. And what do you remember about Shaphan? He was pretty cool. He was pretty cool. He was associated with what king? Josiah and the finding of the law and getting the people to turn back to God. So he has a fine father... A fine grandfather. He also has uh, uncles, Gedaliah does. Uh, his uncles include Eliza, who in Jeremiah 29.3 had delivered a message of Jeremiah to the exiles. Gemariah in Jeremiah 36 um, verse uh, 10, who was one of the ones 
who heard Baruch read the scroll that later Jehoiakim picks up, and he was one who encouraged Jeremiah and Baruch to hide, because he had an idea Jehoiakim would be pretty upset with them. So he was pro-Jeremiah. He also has another uncle. We know a lot about this family. He has another uncle, Jazaniah, who in Ezekiel 8 was the black sheep of the family. He was promoting idolatry in the temple in that vision Ezekiel has. So he had two good uncles and one bad one from the ones we know about. Plus a good father, good grandfather, that's Gedaliah. It's kind of interesting that we know that much about Gedaliah's extended family. Thoughts and comments about all that? Anything through verse 14? Fifteen to eighteen. Now the word of the Lord uh, had come to Jeremiah while he was confined in the court of the guardhouse, saying, "Go to speak to Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. Ethiopian. Thank you. Yes. Saying, this is the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel." Behold, I am about to bring my sword on this city for disaster and not for for prosperity. And they will take place and they'll take place before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you and you will not be given into the hands of men to what you dread. For I will certainly rescue you, and you will not fall by the sword, but you will have your own life as as booty. Because you have trusted in me, declares the Lord. Okay. This is an earlier message that was spoken to Ebed-Melech, that Ethiopian eunuch that rescued Jeremiah out of the mire. And basically God says, I'm going to uh, deliver you from the persecution and from the men you're afraid of and you'll not die. But you will live because you trusted me. So, Evan Melik is duly rewarded for having uh, saved Jeremiah from starvation and death in that pit. Comments and questions about that? Um, my Bible says he's a Kushite. Is that the same thing as an Ethiopian? It is. Yes. Kush and Ethiopia were essentially the same place. Okay. Yes, Leanne. In verse 16, um, I think she said sword reminds us words. I think, yeah, it's words. Yeah, he's saying, uh, I'm going to bring up, you know, what I said would happen, it's going to happen. Other comments or questions? Okay, chapter 40 really expands.